This week, we bring you our interview with Billy Jensen, acclaimed New York Times bestselling author of the book Chase Darkness with Me and the co-host of the popular podcast Murder Squad with Jensen and Holes. Billy has spent his entire career fighting on behalf of victims, telling their stories and using his unique skills and talents to help bring their assailants to justice. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, our interview with Billy Jensen. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. And I am Christy, and we host a podcast called Sinisterhood. Uh, we were real worried no one was going to be a listener, so we're, <laughs> we're very relieved right now. Um, yes, so thank you all so much for coming. You're clearly not here to see us. We all know who we're here to see. Uh, the man of the hour. So without further ado, Let's bring him out. Should we just bring him out? Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to hold up the book for a photo op. Uh, let's bring out uh, the author of the New York Times bestseller, Chase Darkness with me, co-host of the podcast Murder Squad. And we just met him, and he's already one of our favorite people on the planet. So uh, please help us welcome Billy Jensen. Break free of the mic stand if you want. Break no, free. It's, you it's like good. It? No, I feel like. You need an acoustic guitar for you. Yes. <laughs> you feel like Iggy Pop? Yeah. This is the first mic stand I've had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's how we they're do not going to do this. They're not going to be like this. Let me tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to do the Bono. Am I bugging you? I don't mean to bug you. Uh, it lends for some very dramatic answers. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, what are you guys doing? thank you so good. much for hosting this. Oh, Appreciate thank you it. so much for asking us to. This is an honor. We are. And thank you to the Marino sorry. community for suggesting this. Well, we have both read and listened to your book multiple times now. Yeah. Uh, like I told you back there, I laughed, I cried, and it resonated really strongly with me. I know it did for Heather as well. So we kind of just want to jump into some questions if you're cool with that's that, cool, and then good, yeah. we'll open it up to the floor after. Um, first one that we've got here. So you speak so beautifully and honestly about your relationship with your dad and how his interest in true crime and justice heavily influenced you and led you down this path. Yeah. Do you think you would have still found this calling if not for your dad? And what do you think sparked his interest in the macabre? It wasn't necessarily the macabre with him. He was just in it. Yeah. <laughs> he was in the crime because he punched a detective in the face. Right. <laughs> so, um, and he was more of, less about the macabre and more about kind of just the processes of it and, and the pitfalls and how not to do that. So basically, I I screwed up. You're not going to screw up. Mm-hmm. And that's what he. That's that's how he he raised me. 
and um, and also not not only that, but you know he had friends who had gotten into trouble. Don't do these things, and then he would read uh, every every day. He'd come home from 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 work, and um, you know he would open a bottle of Budweiser. He would pop a couple Darvon, which are like Vicodin, <laughs> and uh, he'd watch turn on the Channel Seven Eyewitness News and read the newspaper. And I would be in between him and the newspaper and the uh, the television set. Trying to get his attention, pretty much playing with my action figures and stuff, and and uh, you don't really have to be Sigmund Freud to realize that maybe that's the reason why I do this mm-hmm. is to get his attention, even though he's not around. And uh, I didn't ever put that two and two together. It's strange when you're writing a book. I didn't set out to write a memoir; it just sort of veered into that direction. Um, I was going to write about crimes that I that I tried to solve and didn't, and then crimes that I did, and that's what I was going to write about. And then it started just veering into this other way. So, you know, um, you learn things about yourself that are like, huh, well, maybe that's, that, that makes sense there, you know. But, you know, the one story that comes, came from that is the very first thing that I ever remember saying. My very first words that I remember saying was that in, um, in 1977, so I was five years old, and this was a big time in New York. 77, when people ask, it's a great parlor game to play. It's like, if you could go back to any time period and place where who would you would go where would you go mm-hmm. and some people say like 1920s paris or some people say like you know 1940s los angeles i say 77 new york and this is like why because the, the city was bankrupt they had fired a third of the police force so crime was rampant um there was a blackout there was the 77 yankees there was the rise of punk and the rise of disco at the same time. You'll never see two bands you know, <laughs> of, of music rising at the same time like that. And you also had a guy shooting people with a 44 caliber handgun. Mm-hmm. And um, I like the fact that on Mindhunter they addressed that because we called him the 44 caliber killer. We didn't call him Son of Sam. Even when he gave his name the Son of Sam, we're just like, no, dude, you're the 44 caliber killer. Exactly. So, um, you know, I remember that there was just, you know, I didn't grow up in, we grew up right outside of Queens uh, in Westbury, New York. So it was, it was still a thing. It was still, there, it wasn't a suffocating fear, but there was just a pall over the, over everybody that this guy's, you know, he's ramping up and he's doing it. And, you know, my sisters were kind of 12, 13, 14, and, like, my parents would say, hey, you know, you're not supposed to go, you know, kissing boys in cars anyway, because that's what he was, he was a leper's lane killer, um, but also, you know, wear your hair up and all that, that jazz, mm-hmm. from, you know, so, um, and I remember him coming home and showing me the newspaper, and it said, we have him, and it was a picture of David Berkowitz, and I remember looking at the picture, clear as day. And the first words I remember saying, I'm sure I spoke before then, or else it would have been an issue. I remember, him say, I remember saying in the vernacular of the day, remember this is 77, this is happy days, this is sit on a potsy. I said, he looks like a turkey. <laughs> and, but I liked that feeling, that sort of relief of, okay, we're, you know, everything is set back to normal. So then I was like, well, I'm going to solve the next one. What do you got? And if, as a five-year-old, mm. I was like, let's do it. No, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> so I went and I saw the Zodiac Killer, and I'm waiting for that to be the next one. But uh, no, so I was just like, all right, you know, I, I, my life veered in other different directions, but crime definitely was always sort of there, mm-hmm. and it it is it started bubbling up and bubbling up, and then it was just like, all right, I, I, I have to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, that's an interesting, you know, sort of segue into our next question. You, your career, you know, you outline your career in the book, which is amazing, how you sort of did it yourself, and then you ended up pitching some television shows. And my biggest question, and Christy and I were talking about this, you were pitching a show where you would have kind of a, a squad of folks to go to towns where there were unsolved crimes and kind of solve them, yeah. but you had an issue with executives saying, well, we really want solved crimes? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, did you want to just shake them and go, well, there's a show called Unsolved Mysteries, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you think that's kind of changed now with the popularity of like making a murder or serial where they're sort of unsure? It, it has. It, and thank God for serial. Just, not for just taking open the podcast door, because serial was the kind of thing that made everybody buy, download the app. Mm. And then you started looking, okay, serial's done. What's next? You know, and then Georgia and Karen exploded, and then and all these other people sort of getting, you know, and now we're seeing a lot of like really good storytelling. The television, I mean, this book, this book's subhead could be like how one true crime writer started solving murders and fuck television. <laughs> because that's what, you know, you have to like sort of go in hat in hand and listen, like, oh, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing now because. The podcasters are so much more powerful now, even more than TV. Mm-hmm. So TV still is of the mindset like, oh, we're going to offer you a TV show. And I talk about this with Karen Georgia all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. and it's just like, no, you're not, because we can. We're good. We're, we're bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're more powerful than that. And it's such a much more intimate um, um, listenership. You know, an intimate medium. You know, people are going to be listening to this podcast. You know, we're we're in your ear right now. Mm-hmm. We are in the back seat of your car. Or if you're on a treadmill, we're right behind you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only time I get on a treadmill. <laughs> so I, you know, I think that it's, um, you know, the idea that that whenever I would go in and say I want to do this, and then they were just like, "We love you, but we want something that's solved." And I've been in in meetings with certain, you know. Um, true crime 24-hour you know, programming that are just like, yeah, you know what? We actually did a survey and our, our viewers said they want Unsolved, but we know they really don't. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, how dare you? You have 24 hours of true crime programming. You can't give me 30 minutes. Right. You know, actually, yeah. one, of the, one of the shows was going to be called uh, Hashtag Crime. I know you don't put hashtags on this, like, this is like four years ago. Like, easy. And it was going to be like crimes that were like solved with the internet. It was going to be one solved crime and then 20 minutes of one unsolved crime. And I was like, just give me 20 minutes and that's it. Mm-hmm. And they ha- and we made it so much like that particular network show, which is, you know what, there was only one network that, at the time that was 24 hours. It so much looked like one of their shows. I took their showrunner, everything. It was, it was so good. In terms of their show, I would not want to ever put it out now. But um, then they were just like, yeah, we had a crisis of faith. We don't want to have a call to action at the end of any of our shows. I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. You know? So, you know, um, and I, I sort of very early on in my career, uh, probably my 10th or 11th story, I decided I only wanted to do Unsolved because I just, it felt very, listen, you know, you can do solve stuff and you can do it in a good way. The way that they wanted me to do it, this is in the book when I talk about the New York Post when they uh, it was just the 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 disrespect for the victims Mm -hmm. and okay this is not fitting the narrative Mm -hmm. Um, you can go you can go home now and it's just like nope I'm not doing this ever again so that's you know it really changed my whole career because I thought I was going to be one of those crime beat guys that's Mm going to go down to the courthouse and go you know uh, a different crime scene every day and everything like that and it just my life took a different direction because because of that very thing 
That also segues nicely into our next question. So many segues. This is not sponsored by Segway. <laughs> so one of the things, the cases you talk about in the book is the story of Howard Elkins. Yes. Which, is, my God, what a monster. But uh, it perfectly encompasses like the banality of evil of a man living above the corpse of yes. the pregnant woman he killed. And that's kind of one of the first times that there was a solve to that where you made those connections and you're the one that got the answers to that how did that feel well i didn't know what the hell i was doing <laughs> so it, it's one thing to you know i almost think that getting you know being able to a it was my first murder case mm -hmm. ever so first murder story i i go to the house i interview in the the killer uh, and tell him his his jig is up and then he about five days later, he blows his head off, mm -hmm. and everything everything has been harder since. Nothing has been that that easy mm -hmm. uh, since. In quotes, and um, yeah, I mean, it was. It, I didn't know what to feel. Yeah. You know, I really didn't because I didn't know it would feel a lot. It would certainly would have feel a lot better because the Marcus Gaines case. When I do actually solve my first one after seventeen years of of not solving one, that was an elation followed by a big come down. Mm -hmm. But at least that first elation was there. Uh, that one, it was. Um, I was just okay. I I filed the story and it's all accurate, and uh, I hope. I hope there's no mistakes in it. It's really <laughs> what you're like when you're 20. Kind of tag on to that. What are your thoughts on murderabilia and people that kind of exalt serial killers yeah, no. or murderers? The answer is no. We agree. <laughs> That's we, my we, yes. We'll go on record. Yeah, no, it's a, you know, and, I have, and I'm a guy that likes to hold stuff that has been held by other people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the past. Like, I'm a guy that, that has... Uh, that, that would, you know, has seen, has, you know, would, likes to go to uh, locations where things happen, go to Ford's Theater. Obviously, you guys have a lot of stuff here with Dealey Plaza. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the idea of buying any of this, these schmucks things, uh, really does bother me. Mm -hmm. Schmuck is such a good word. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a matter of, it's just, th that's one of the things that I'm trying to change yeah. is that we need, the problem with true crime as a genre is we have a thousand supervillains. Mm -hmm. Bundy, Gacy, Manson. It's like, oh, look, Manson's going to be on Mindhunter. You know? I like the fact that at least Mindhunter is, is making heroes, even though they had to change their names, out of Wrestler and John mm -hmm. Douglas. And, um, but like we've got here, you know, it's like one of the reasons why I told Paul, you're getting a Twitter account. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to fade off into this now. This is even before we, started, we were going to even start the podcast. It was like people were doing it, and this the hot for holes thing came out. And everything. I was like, Dude, no, you're getting on Twitter because you need to keep going because I want I want people to look up to you yes. and look up to like um, uh, you know Tara Newell, who's great and who killed Dirty John. And it's mm -hmm. like that's a that's a hero of true crime. Or Roxanne Grunheim that she arrested. Or Roxanne Grunheim, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. who's who's who arrested um, Larry Vanner, aka. Uh, Rasmussen, Rasmussen, who mm -hmm. turns out to be, I think, the most wicked serial killer ever. And Roxanne was just so great because I brought Roxanne to the New, New Hampshire. She had never yeah. met the New Hampshire guys, right? Yeah. And it was like, you know, I, I, I thought they would ask her more questions. They didn't really pick her brain enough. It's like, this is a guy that you've been, you've been really looking for for mm -hmm. 30 years. 
Uh, and she stared him down. Mm -hmm. And um, and Roxanne, I remember we drove there. Then when we drove back to Boston, she's like, can we stop at this place? It was on Diner's Drives. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we talk yeah. about Diner's Drives and Diner's really? all okay, the time. Yeah. All right, yeah, so, so we totally did. I was like, all right, yeah. And we stopped. Me and Roxanne friends. <laughs> yeah. I think they had fried Twinkies or something. But, um, but yeah, no. And um, yeah, it's like those, we, we need to start you know, propping those yes. people up. And it's, it's difficult, too. It's difficult because of of the reputation and the faults of law enforcement. There's, there's, there are bad law enforcement out there. They're making, you know, horrendous mistakes and horrendous decisions, and there's still a ton of racism uh, within the police forces that um, and within our justice system as a whole. So, you know, people are, a lot of people are still uncomfortable with propping up somebody that's in law enforcement as a hero, mm -hmm. the way it was back in the 19, you know, 30s and 40s when the G-men were like yes. put up as heroes, Melvin Purvis and these kind of guys. Dragnet. And Dragnet, yeah. And um, we don't have to go all the way there because that veers, when you watch it now, it veers towards fascism. We don't, you know, <laughs> when you're watching Dragnet, even yes. though I love Dragnet, you hear a little bit of Dragnet in, in Murder Squad. It's like, yeah, there was a little bit of fascism going yeah, on in there. But, um, uh, yeah, I think we really need that. We need to change the narrative and have it focus not on, not just on you know the heroes, uh, but also uh, you know on the victims mm -hmm. themselves. Well, yeah. funny that you should say that because our next question. I'm just segueing right into this is unprecedented. Yeah. Um, but in the book, you relay a, a victim. Well, and you all, you like to cover victims that maybe the, the news doesn't cover. Mm -hmm. You know, some marginalized communities or people of color. And one of the victims that you cover was a drug user. But then when you interviewed the friend of them, they said this person was my star shine. He was my star shine. And you say in the book, everyone has someone who thinks of that person as their star. Starshine. So do you think that because you're not only an investigator but also a storyteller that you're motivated to go after lesser known cases because perhaps you can see the story where others can't? And that, I mean, that quote really slayed me. Mm -hmm. I almost wrecked my car yeah. to like type that. I was listening to something <laughs> and I like had to type yeah. that. I mean, because, it, because it's true. Yeah. And, you know, we constantly say... You know, there, there's such a thing, and you see this is another reason why fuck television. You see this 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 idea of the ideal victim, you know, which is which is usually a white woman. That's what you want. A white pregnant woman is the ultimate ideal victim. Mm. You see that, and they, they, they just run on it. You guys know what I'm talking about. So, so you know, and then you ha you have this, you know, that's going to be the biggest story, not just in true crime, but also in the media, mm -hmm. you know, and. Uh, there are so many other people being killed, being murdered, mm -hmm. uh, uh, going missing, mm -hmm. and nobody's telling these stories. And you know, one of the things is, and listen, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll cover bigger stories sometimes, you know. But there's a saying in a newsroom, and it's called "Find the Grave Digger," mm -hmm. yes. and it, you, you, it sounds, it sounds, um, you know, at first I didn't know where it was because I didn't go to J school, but it's taught in every J school. And it is because of when um, JFK was assassinated in, in D.C., D.C. was flooded with every reporter. And, uh, you know, this is back in the day when every newspaper sent, you know, St. Louis Post-Dispatch would send a guy. You know, like they all sent people in. TV was there. Everybody was there. And they're all covering, you know, the pomp and circumstance of everything. And then what does Breslin do? He goes across the street and he interviews the guy, this, like, sort of, guy that's just, you know, a, a regular guy that's digging the president's grave. And it was an incredibly powerful column and gave something that, that was different. And that was one of the things that um, 
with you know people used to say what is what is our JFK assassination you know it was a little bit of the challenger like everybody remembers where they were when the challenger exploded but then obviously 9-11 was the biggie and uh when I looked at 9-11, we had to do our one-year anniversary of 9-11, and everybody's writing all these stories and everything, and I said, I'm going to find the grave digger, and I just did a search through the records, and I said, was anybody murdered on that day? And sure enough, there was somebody that was murdered, sure enough, it was unsolved, and he was a Polish immigrant who had um, was so desperate for work that he had actually continued to work, keep looking for a job while the towers were burning and, and falling. And he finally, he gets a, a gig to go clean a, 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 a supermarket in Bedford-Stuyvesant and um, he gets off at the wrong stop and he's lost and he's kind of knocking on doors and everything and and somebody shoots him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you he know, was wearing army fatigues. And he was wearing army fatigues because yeah. he, he just liked them, you know. That was just like, he, he just bought him at a surplus mm-hmm. store and liked them. And he had a darker complexion and, uh, <laughs> you know, someone just, just shot him and killed him. And it did not, you know, it got maybe this much... Ink in the, in the in the papers, and I was like, "Well, I want to tell that story." Mm-hmm. And there's so many stories that are like that that don't happen on the you know the biggest news days, you know that um, they, that I wish people would cover. We talk about that a lot on our show. That a million people are going to do an episode on Manson or mm-hmm. Gacy or something, but the more local things that aren't going to get as much you know uh, coverage. coverage or anything, but also that those are the ones that get to us the most. Because you're just doing your everyday thing, going about your business, trying to find work, and it's just wrong place, wrong time, something happens. And then the only people that seem to remember are the families. Yeah. Yeah, and even his his mother didn't even really understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, His mother thought he died at... She knew he died at 9-11 in New York and thought he died at the towers. Mm -hmm. Like, kept on... Even, like, a year later, she thought that, so... And he had two little kids back in Poland. He was sending money back there. And, and it's, yeah, it's just, and it's one of those things that nobody talked about. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm, this, is, this is the story that I'm going to tell because everybody's telling this other story. Mm-hmm. And that's the, those are the things that we have to do. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people ask, well, aren't there too many crime podcasts? I was like, no, because there's a lot of freaking stories. <laughs> you know, there's never a us, shortage of content. Yeah, if, if all of us picked one case and ran with it or something, and I know, oh, it doesn't have twists and turns, it doesn't have this or that, but there's enough out there. And um, we, uh, we have to be able to... Um, you know, do those, do those, you know, we're going to run out of the big cases. Is, is somebody really going to want to hear another Manson one mm-hmm. or a Gacy one or whatever? Uh, but no, so, so it's just like, let's keep digging deeper and doing the reporting on it because the reporting might have might not even been done and say, all right, this is, this is one that I want to, mm-hmm. you know, spend some time on. You talk a lot about how you're always looking for that next solve or that next case, and it's very hard for you to unwind. Yeah. Even when you go to Disney World with your family for your daughter's graduation, you end up, because of the tragedy of the pole shooting hap- just yeah. happens that while you're there, you end up covering that. Are you ever able to really take a break as a passionate person that is so invested in this? Do you ever really get a break for yourself? Yeah, you can get breaks. Um, it's It's... It's definitely more difficult because of the social media components. And when I have five cases running at once, which I try not to do, that's a little too much. But um, you constantly are looking at Facebook, you know, because people are either commenting or they're not always going to message you. They might just comment on it. And that could be the one that breaks it. Mm -hmm. So if I have something that's that's running, um, 
you know, we're looking for this guy in like Guatemala now, and I just talked to um, the victim's uh, mother. It's a case that we did on Murder Squad, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we were getting tips and getting all the, you know, when they're in Spanish, and then I got to translate, and if we want to write back to that person, I'm going to translate. Mm-hmm. You know, usually, when the when the tips come in, you can translate it because it automatically translates. But when you have to write back, mm-hmm. and then also the fact that people. People everywhere, you know, Central America, America, the spelling is horrible, and then the translation gets screwed up. (laughs) So it it makes it that much more difficult, but it's an important, it's an important case. Um, You know, there's, there's, there's those that um, you just think that how can we not solve them? There's one, you know, it's, you know, I've done a couple in Dallas too that that I'll probably um, reactivate and share on on the Murderino page or something. That they're, they're active now, but it's just like, you know. When you have, having done 60 cases, I can't put money behind each one of those, you know what I mean, at all the time. So what I do is I usually go back uh, around the holidays, maybe, because new people might be in that, that mm-hmm. might be talking to somebody and say, hey, you know what, I, um, uh, you know, and I tell people, you know, talk about it over family dinner, mm-hmm. talk about it, hey, do you remember this, do you remember that, and any, anything along those lines. So um, just a matter of just, the bottom line is just to get people talking. Speaking of family dinners, um, and the Disney World vacation, and you mentioned in the book how there was a Thanksgiving where you were just constantly checking your phone, and your wife Kendall was understanding but also annoyed. How does wow, it affect? Really, our relationship. <laughs> Same. My husband's right here. He's probably annoyed right right now. Um, how does it affect your family life to be doing what you're doing? The, the phone is, a, is an issue, definitely, mm-hmm. uh, because it's. Um, you know, you, you, you want to be present, and and, and I, I have a, I have a hard time being present anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's why I got one of these. You know, like we we had a uh, uh, when I was at Crime Watch Daily, it was the last year. Actually, I think actually it was last year. So I think Crime Watch was already good, already done. But Extra had a party at the Harry Potter Land in um, Universal. In Universal, which was like. We had Universal all to ourselves. Oh, we wow. had Harry Potter all to ourselves. That's and I like amazing. walked around Hogwarts by myself. That's and amazing. I would pretend that I was in Hogwarts. Yes. And then I went to the bar and I was just like, wait a minute, is this open bar? And like, yeah. And I was like, and I literally I said to the woman, this is the greatest night of my life. <laughs> and I was like, what are the secret drinks? It's got to be secret drinks. So like she was making me all these different secret that drinks. That is but, truly magic. But they handed out like these, I uh, you don't know, these little like circular uh-huh. washers that like you put put a word on it mm-hmm. that you want to be, you know, and at first like I would think, oh, like justice or this thing. I was like, no, it's like present. I need to yeah. be present, and that's what I need to be in my life um, because there's, it's the most important thing you have mm-hmm. to do, and that's still something that I struggle with because there are so many of those things that come out there, and then there's, there's so many new emails that come in and yeah. say, you know, you want to answer them right away, not just tips, but brand new emails mm-hmm. and yeah. mothers saying, you know, please help me, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a lot of unsolved crime in the United States, which you cover in your book and a lot of statistics. I will share a couple. If you get killed in the U.S., there's a 38% chance that your killer won't be caught, and only 61.5% of homicides are solved each year, and there are thousands of rape kits just sitting in evidence kind of collecting dust, although I will say Texas passed a recent law that is meant to end the back yes. here, and now there's... <laughs> that is good, but I, but I will say this. I will say, ending the backlog is one thing. What do, you, what do you do now with that info? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 
Are you running it through CODIS? Yes. Are you running it through DNA databases? And, and, and this law requires within new kits to be tested within two weeks. It also requires a full inventory of old kits. Mm -hmm. And then by January 2020, they have to give a full description of what they've been doing with all of them. And they're right. not allowed to destroy them uh, until 40 years. Sure. Yeah, so you just have you have to be able to, and that's great. Yeah, Representative yeah. from this district did that. That's great. Yeah. So you have to be able to say, all right, well, what, what are you going to do with it now? If there's one that's a serial, you better be using genealogy right now. You better be putting it into GenMatch right now um, because this person is out there doing it again and again. And then then we're down. So and the backlog and, and it's, it's incredibly important, but there's that next step. Yes. The next step is, all right, well, what are you going to do after you end the backlog? And that is familiar, familiar DNA the same way that we caught Golden State Killer, yes. just narrowing it down like that. Yes, the, I mean, one of the reasons why I talk about citizen detectives so much is that um, yeah, they're all going. They're going to say this. The police department's going to say, "Yeah, we just don't have the money for it." Yeah. It's just like we have resources that will help with that. There are a lot of amateur genealogists that will help with that. Just give them the access to it, and um, and they can help. And I'm waiting for the first, uh, you know, forensic genealogist to be hired um, mm -hmm. in a in a department, mm -hmm. you know, and then from that department to start solving a bunch of crimes, and then have that come across the country because we are so such on the precipice of something really big right yes. now and even though Jed Match kind of flipped the switch off and um, uh, had everybody opt back in which which has hurt a lot of investigations bummer but I really think that that you know until but before then after Golden State we saw like 50 of them I think yeah. it was 50 50 of them so there's going to be a lot more and it's not going to just be uh, murders, it can also be sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And we need to get into that place now because now we've we best been very much concentrating on the murders, but especially sexual assaults and especially anything that you, you've run through the system that is, and you put it into CODIS, that is uh, matching up with another one mm -hmm. because people move around all the time now. And that's the biggest problem in, in America in terms of investigations is that we have 19,000 different law enforcement agencies. Nobody's talking to each other. No databases really talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, that's something that we can fix. You know, it's like it's one of those th times that if you're ever at work and you kind of throw up your hands and say, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't do this. Mm -hmm. It's like this is something that could be done. And they're just going to say we don't have the time or the resources. But well, the resources are sitting in this room. Mm -hmm. sure. Do you think there'll ever come a time when there'll be mandatory sharing of DNA? Because, I mean, right now, if I, I did Vitagene, which told me that I should run more, didn't need to spend dollars to do that. Yeah. But it does. It, it's like your DNA test, and it does, you know, it tells you about your personnel, or not your personnel, it tells you about, like, your... your it tells you about your personnel. Your personnel. <laughs> you're like, wow, well, you need to run more. Very like, presumptuous. Hey. Uh, yeah, yeah you, you're basic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it ain't wrong. Uh, but it also has a, it also has a thing where you can opt in to have your familial DNA tested, but it didn't, it, nowhere in their privacy policy did they say, say it would be shared. Do you think we're moving towards yeah I mean I'd rather the biggest issue with the DNA is for me is health insurance and health yeah. insurance premiums yeah. and somebody getting that information and our health system is so screwed up as it is imagine if you have a propensity for uh, the Alzheimer's gene mm -hmm. or something and how much your rates would skyrocket mm -hmm. that's the thing that bothers me more than anything else with it and we have to walk that, that balance. Do I think that it should be mandatory everybody puts their DNA in something? I'm not at that point to say yeah. that. It's, that starts getting pretty draconian. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I think if people are really into it and, and, um, want, to. and, and want to do it, want to find out about you know, um, uh, you know, your, uh, your, your relatives or whatever, I mean, bottom line is, 
it's it's you're gonna catch a murderer. Yeah. You, know? mm. you will. And it's gonna be a third cousin and you're never gonna have known that person. <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna have a good story to tell. Exactly. Dinner, you're giving you know? people a story to tell yes. in essence. And there's nothing more important than a story. That's so. very true. Well, you just talked a lot about how law enforcement said will always say they don't have enough manpower mm-hmm. or resources. Is that really all it is, or do you think there's some other reason that they're so hesitant? Because with your proven success uh, with with familial DNA and just social media campaigns and everything, it's mind blowing that they haven't hired people to do this yeah. in house. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's an education aspect to it because I get it every day when I call them up and I see a video. And uh, I say, you know, whenever I see a video that has come out, if, it, if a family hasn't contacted me or, or the police haven't directly contacted me, if I see a video and it looks, you know, there was a perfect example. There was a, um, a college instructor who was murdered uh, a couple days ago, and then they put, they put the video up in a, in a sketch up. I take that and I kind of put it into my flipboard and I say, I wait it, I let it wait for like three weeks because I was like, they, they'll probably catch this guy. Mm-hmm. If they don't, then I'll make a call and be like, if you call this guy and be like, no, we, we got nothing. Then I'll, then I'll start doing my thing. They actually did catch the guy. They, okay. they caught him today. Good. Allegedly, whatever. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, um, I, I think that it's just when I call up them and I'm just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to put all, just my money behind it. I'm not going to ask money from you or the family or anything. And I don't want the reward, the rewards for the tipsters. And then they ask, well, why do you do this? And I say, oh, no, no, I just do it. <laughs> and then they say, um, okay, well, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a face page dedicated strictly to this crime. Well, we have a Facebook page. Okay, hang on a second. Let me just keep going. And then it's a matter of just explaining to them what geotargeting is. Mm-hmm. Explaining to them, um, you know, how to write compelling copy for an ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that sort of things that they just don't get. Some of them get it, and they're all about it. But some of them, you know, and then they might be interested in it, and then they say, well, we got to run it up through our PIO. And then it gets it gets ground to a halt, mm-hmm. which is so frustrating. And then it's like I never hear from them, and then I got to call them back. So I'm chasing them. Mm-hmm. I'm chasing them to say, you know, I want to help. Let, let me chase you for this. And um, it's frustrating, but I just hope that listen. Everything is just everything is just so new now that I hope that um, as new generations are are getting into those positions, that they're going to get into it mm-hmm. and they're going to see the success. Well, and that's, that was kind of our last question is, you know, your last chapter of the book is kind of a call to action for everybody. And you also started, you know, as a writer, you made your own zine. You kind of went out and did it yourself. You didn't wait for permission. So kind of what is the value of not waiting for permission? And then also, what are some, aside from what's in the book, you could have had the book for the real steps, you guys. Yeah. But just the very first step that somebody can do, you know, actionable, something to leave here with. Yeah, I mean, the value, I mean, I mean there's certain, I, I give a lot of rules. And the rules are super important um, because we're dealing with something that is really life and death. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the most important things that's out there. So um, you can easily overstep uh, and affect an investigation, affect um, a family's well-being, affect your well-being, mm-hmm. uh, ruin a complete stranger's life. You, you can do a lot of a lot of things can go wrong. So that's why one of the reasons why I sort of did the rules first because I knew that if I told this story. People would, some people would want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I've got to do this thing in the end that says all this stuff and gives people kind of an action plan on what to do. But I think that the first thing that, that people need to do is 
find a case that is, doesn't necessarily have to be local, but it's always good if you know um, around there, a case that hasn't been written about that much, mm -hmm. a case that you wonder why they haven't caught the guy. If you're looking for video of it, why haven't they caught the guy? Um, if you're looking at, they have a sketch, why haven't they done it? And the reasons why is because people don't watch TV anymore, really. They don't look at the newspaper anymore. It depends on, there are certain stories that just are not gonna get viral um, on the web. Mm -hmm. And so it's the, it's, the, it's the responsibility for the police and now what I'm saying is, for, you know, for myself to take that story and, and boost it back up again and say, all right, well, this didn't get played before. Let's see if we can hit other people then. Mm -hmm. And the way I explain to it to the police departments that I talk to is that it's like knocking on the door of everyone within a one-mile radius mm -hmm. that has a Facebook account. But it's, you know, there's usually one person in the family that has mm -hmm. one. So... There, you know, you're going to hit a lot of people. You don't have the manpower to do that, but that's what this is going to do. And then we can hit them over and over and over again. You know, it's harder to do in um, in in urban areas where it's very uh, densely packed. Yeah. But um, but it works. Yeah. You've proven it does. Well, thank you. Well, we want to open it up to questions yes. from you all. So if you have a question, just raise your hand. We'll call on you, and uh, we'll repeat the question. Go ahead. Sign first. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask. You talk a lot about putting a lot of your own money into these. Investigations. Um, do you have a GoFundMe or anything like that where listeners can help contribute to that? The no. question is whether Billy has a GoFundMe yeah. to help him with his Facebook campaign. Yes. No, I don't. I think if I was going to do that, I think it would probably be on a case, on a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. And I was actually talking to um, uh, Todd at the Doe Network, uh, who also he also runs Namus too, uh, talking about you know, all right, what can you know? I want to. You know, as the book sells and I get a little bit of money, I sell not a ton of money. I make more money on my day job. Um, what can I can I can I share it out? You know, mm -hmm. I said, what do you have? Do you have any does that are in a jurisdiction that they just don't have the money? Mm -hmm. And then then I'll I'll write you a check and then and earmark it. You know, to to that for doing that specific thing, as opposed to just you know potentially um, uh, giving money to a charity on you know just as mm -hmm. in and of itself, which then the money can get kind of. Yeah, put over redirects and all that, all that jazz. So, uh, you know, maybe one day we might do that. Might do that for Murder Squad if we have a mm -hmm. case that we that we have a real clear plan of action for. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, at this point, I'm just making money and then putting it right back into the investigations. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hero, all the way back there. <laughs> the question was on page 299. That's right. Wow. wow. Uh, there is, yes, if you have a book flipped, we have several flippings happening. Um, he, Billy talks about an investigation in Dallas, and do you have any more information you could share? Do you know us? what? Yes. Oh. Uh, let, me, let me hang on one second. I just, I just want, to get the, the, I want to get the information correct. Uh, hang on one second. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In fact, all of you in here have warrants for your arrest. <laughs> That's what this, this is. This is a roundup, actually, not yeah. a book signing. It was the it's the it was the case of um, um, the gentleman. I, I I think this is the one. It's the case of the gentleman in Dallas. Gentleman, he's an asshole. <laughs> Who murdered the uh, the woman in the and, and there's clear video of him walking out of uh, it's either an apartment or a hotel. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Hotel Plaza. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, yeah. Is that Zaza murder? I work right across the street from that. Yeah, so, and that's one of those cases where that video is so damn good that I was like, well, you know, when we actually ran it on Crime Watch Daily and we tried to... We tried to to enhance the video and do all this stuff. And like, remember the guy's wearing sunglasses? And oh, yeah, it's a different. He looks. Is, is that the one? I think it's not Hotel Zaza, but yeah, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, the guy's wearing sunglasses. It's not okay. It's not Hotel Zaza, but the guy's wearing. He's walking through the lobby, and he just looks like a total douchebag. And then he's walking out of the lobby, and he's got sunglasses on or whatever, and he just looks really, really identifiable. Mm. I have a feeling he's not from around here, which makes it rough um, uh, because. Anytime you're doing something that's around a, a, a hotel or potentially like a, even like even like an apartment or something, it's just you know the person might be from out of town mm-hmm. and it's just slipped in and then slipped out. So mm-hmm. that was the one I was talking about and the lead didn't pan out. So that's as still they, ongoing. As still, they often don't still searching yeah. for this guy. Yeah. Another question. Uh, who else has a question? I know you. Is somebody over here. Yes. Um, I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. All right, so the question is, and by the way, the gentleman that asked that question was my first ever friend in college that I met. <laughs> and uh, introduced awesome. me to the Velvet Underground. Oh, and there was actually nice. a Velvet Underground yeah. quote in the book that I think I had to take out because you're not allowed to quote songs in books. Oh. You have to pay for it. But, uh, which, when the quote, by the way, was first thing you learn is you always have to wait from wait for my man, uh, which is true about justice. You just yeah. have to wait all the time. But So the question was, uh, do I get blowback from... Uh, law enforcement agencies when I ask them to help is 50-50. A lot of times they, nobody really, usually it's a stall and it's like we got to run it up the the chain. That's usually what it is. Uh, I like reaching to a detective that's just like, yeah, let's do it. Mm. And uh, ask, you know, ask for uh, forgiveness later. Those are my favorites. (laughs) And, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's an education. It's part of the reasons, one of the reasons why I wrote the book. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to write a book that, that, that normal readers, regular people would, would want to read, but also, you know, whenever, you know, I'm donating, uh, I just donated like a dozen books to San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, and um, when I hear, like, uh, one of the people from the DA's office in New York came up and gave me a, one of their challenge coins that they have, oh, and uh, it's like, I'm going to share this with everybody that's in my awesome. department, so it's like, that's what I want to yeah. hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, the, that's the cool stuff. Yeah. Well, and if, God forbid, any of us are victims of a crime or know someone, we can now ask the police, why aren't you utilizing all these mm-hmm. resources like social media? Mm-hmm. Call Billy Jensen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hashtag call Billy Hashtag Jensen. Hashtag call Billy Jensen. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Actually, I do. She asked about when his, and in the book, there's a story about his dad taking him to get his first fake ID. Which yes. is super rad. Awesome. So, so um, we went to, so this is what it, so there were such shitty IDs too, because they were like, you'd go into New York City and you would go to like a t shirt shop and then there would be a place in the back and then you, you would like get a picture of yourself and it would say like medical alert something. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a real good ID. And I'm six four, I couldn't get it was hard to find somebody that looked like me that I could just get their ID, so I was like really screwed. So I was like, I gotta get a fake ID. So he's taking me around, right? And then there's this one guy that comes up to us that that is basically he's scouting the uh the, those stores in the village and sees we're going in and out of them and knows what we want so he comes up to us and is like you want a fake ID 
And we're just like, yeah. And he starts like, all right, well, come with me. And then, like, my dad is like realizes as we're going down an alley it's like screw this and then they get into a, then they get into a shouting match and my dad put his hand in his pocket and I know what that meant because his knife is in there and he has taken it out in the past like that because he knows how to open he knew how to open it with like mm-hmm. even it wasn't yeah. a switch but he knew how to open it like that and then like just started yelling at the guy he had his hand in his pocket and then the guy saw his hand in his pocket and then he just walked away and sure enough that's what their mo was because oh. three of my friends. Um, went in for a fake, get a fake ID, and then they got robbed and got really? all their, their chains, you know, uh, ripped off and stuff like that. So. They should have brought their badass dad with them. Always bring your dad when you're going to make sure your dad brings his knife. I have not thought about that story, and I didn't even think about that story when I was writing the book. It's so Aww. funny. Aww. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow, that's crazy. How old were you? Yeah, how old were you? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> How old was I? That, that was probably 15 or 16. And he was just totally cool with it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to just get into the clubs. Okay. You know, I just wanted to get into there's a club called The Loop and Malibu, which was like, that's where they played all the new wave music. Uh-huh. And that's where I wanted to wanted to go, you know. So I used to be able to get in there. Like, before, if you showed up, like, before 9 a.m., sometimes they just wouldn't check. 9, 9 p.m., 9 a.m. Uh, wow, that's a club. <laughs> Dedication. That is, yeah. yeah. You're the biggest New Wave fan yeah. that's ever <laughs> But yeah, no, so that's really what you wasn't necessarily you know, wanting to drink. Yeah, it he was, trusted it was, you. Yeah, exactly. That's and he, awesome. you know, and he, he, he had me live by a, you know, a code that has worked so far. That's amazing. Yeah. So far, we have other questions? Oh, in the back. Very bad. Stand that's on you, the show. Yeah, you. Okay. Um, with the, your newfound, you know, notoriety, popularity, what's been the coolest, like, Ooh, that's a good question. The coolest non-crime related perk with your newfound I'm, I'm flying, coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, non-crime related perk, it's just being around people. Aww. Actually, being around people that know your story is interesting. Mm. It's, it's, it, I'm getting over the kind of uncomfortableness of it and um, being like, okay, you know, this is the reason why I'm having so many people know who my dad is mm-hmm. and know his story. So I think that's the best perk you can ask for is just somebody knowing your story. And that's, You're like instant friends. Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah. <laughs> and friends and friends are instant enemies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, everybody has a story uh, to tell. So having, knowing that my story has been, has been listened to or heard by so many people, um, that's that's the best perk I can ask for. That's amazing. That's awesome. Any other questions that we have around here? So we hear you weekly on your podcast with Paul. How often are you guys actually together? The question is how often do does Billy and Paul get together to record American yes. Squad? We get together probably twice a month. And we batch record, yeah, mm. because he's filming his oxygen show. They're they're flying him everywhere. Obviously, I had this thing. We'll be back uh, next uh, Friday, uh, recording next fr- Thursday and Friday, and, and doing one episode each. Then, so uh, yeah, it's it's a um, you know when we do get together, we have just such a good rapport. You know, we really like each other's company, and then we do that and then we drink while we're doing it and then we drink afterwards <laughs> but, um, but then I'm, all, you know, I'm also on, I'm on another podcast too called The First Degree mm-hmm. which is about um, which is the one case that one t- thing that I do which is about adjudicated cases but it's it's about people who are one degree away from a crime mm-hmm. uh, mostly one degree away from a victim and you tell the story through their uh, their eyes mm-hmm. and their memories and I thought that was um, you know a, a really 
interesting way to get into that story, those unique. stories. And there's a lot of people and a lot of like even, you know, podcasters and things that we've had. And we had Justin from Gen Y on, mm-hmm. you know, and he had a first degree, but he has one of these, these stories mm-hmm. that are just um, incredible mm-hmm. and just hearing it through that. We had really one of the most, one of the ultimate first degrees we had on the episode yesterday, which was um, Kim Goldman. Uh, because, I mean, everybody knows Kim Goldman as being, you know, the the, the one, you know, victim family member in the courtroom yeah. every day having to hear about her, how her, um, her, her brother was slaughtered by the, this killer, who we'll call him OJ. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, come, yeah at, come, come at me, come at, come at Sinisterhood Podcast. Oh, we're very vocal about his <laughs> <We're> guilt. <laughs> Show about the golden juice award. If you're a huge douchebag, you're as bad as okay. Oh, that's <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's the other thing I do. And we 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 tend to do that one every week because we're all in Los Angeles. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, me and Paul, we'd like to be able to. It'd be great if we were in the same city together. That's one of the reasons why you know, somebody asked, like, are you going to do like two episodes per week now? Like, do a mini episode or something? And people have been asking us about just what our thoughts are on certain higher profile crimes mm-hmm. and it might be cool just to sit around and just talk about that mm-hmm. like um, obviously the the owl thing uh, yeah. people were talking about that and then Paul all of a sudden you know decides I'm going to get on Twitter and start talking about stuff and, uh, and, then, and then Polly's phone blows up yeah <laughs> so um, you know that very well might be something that we um, that we do in the future once once his filming is done, mm-hmm. once this craziness the book tour is done and everything we can actually just um, you know chill out a little bit yeah Oh, two. So kind of segueing off that question, um, is there any chance that you and Paul Holes will go on tour and, you know, do... The question's about a Murder Squad Jensen and Holes live tour and potential. Yes. Uh, we, we will. Uh, it's a matter of uh, um, what cases we would do. And... We're sort of think, trying to think of what what the right cases we would do in each city mm-hmm. um, to be respectful, to to not just throw a bunch of stuff out there. It's a little different than than some other uh, uh, live shows. You know, if you notice, like with Karen and Georgia, they, they usually don't do uh, anything that's unsolved. You know, they, mm-hmm. they do they do things that are so doing something that's unsolved. The wound is still fresh, even yeah. if it's thirty years ago. So uh, we just have to figure that out and figure out what that sort of what that would look like. Mm-hmm. You know, we did one in we did the the, the Jennings Aid over in uh, at CrimeCon, and we're gonna do so. These are sort of dry runs when we do the My Favorite Weekend. We're going to do a live one, and then we're going to do uh, Death Becomes Us the next week. So we're going to just kind of iron out the kinks then, and yes. then if we do decide to do something, probably in the spring of next year. Awesome. All right. Yes. No, we will definitely come to Dallas. Awesome. I, by the way, I made them put Dallas on the, you know, the, every, every artist says, every, every artist. You're an artist. Yeah, yeah. That's right, true. Actually, yeah. Don't give a fuck. You're a rock uh, star. Every, every, every writer says, an author says, like, you know, I don't choose the book tour places and everything. And I'm just like, no. And they said, I was like, well, where is Texas? Because I know that there's a big community in. Um, We're right Texas. in the middle. Down at the bottom above Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And, um, and I said, no, we're doing that, yeah. And then, like, so everyone's like, well, we're Seattle, and we couldn't put, you know, so, like, I'm, I was like, would you guys come? You know, because I'm a, I'm a kid that is, I'm a, I'm a, is it, we have any summer babies here? Okay. 
You know how like when you would have a, a birthday party in the summer and mm-hmm. then nobody would really show up? <laughs> and then like your mom's like, look, your cousins are here, isn't that great? And force them to come. Yeah. So I'm that kid that like, you know, you always wonder about if you're gonna throw a party and if anybody's gonna show up, you know? And so, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, of you know, when I, when I always go in and I ask, it's like, well, uh, like I think it was with Michigan. I was like, all right, would, would you guys show up if we did it? And where would we do it? And then I got like 500 comments. I was like, okay, you'll yeah. let, you, you would show up. Let's do this. And then I'm like to my publisher, we should do this. Even though it's not right at the beginning of the tour, let's just do it, you yeah. know, and I'll fly in and fly out. So, yeah. Awesome. Who else has a question? Oh, yes. Have you offered Paul Holes any um, coaching around what the weekly distraction is? <laughs> so the question is, have, we, have I offered Paul Holes what the, uh, uh, any coaching about getting his weekly distraction to not be so terrifying? Uh, it's so funny, too, because he started doing one, and he, was, he started talking about, you know what, and I got these bugs here, and then Polly's like, we did bugs already. I said, well, they're different bugs. She's like, no, we got to do something else. So, uh, and I know that he did complain about the Dallas airport. Yes, I don't know how you guys felt about yeah. that. I'm sure you guys hate your I mean, he ain't wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a nightmare. So, um, uh, no, it's just, you know, it's kind of weird because it's kind of become a thing where if he does something that's fun, it'll kind of ruin it. But at the end of the day, it, it, you know, his, his life can't be that crazy, crazy like that. And that, you know, um, you know, sort of... Uh, you know, sort of like, you know, not really devastating, but just, just like, just strange. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, we might, we might uh, have a little, uh, another talk about it. But, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll get it at some point. <laughs> because he just, yeah, he, I mean, you know, I'm trying to get him into, you know, downloading some episodes of The Office, maybe. Mm, yes. And, uh, you know, just trying to get him to do a little, I'm trying to, show some more pop culture stuff to him yes. and see if he'll watch it. So that's really what my, my next goal is to do that as opposed to having me explain the entire Marvel Universe <laughs> in two minutes. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Who else has a question? Yes, One more, in the pink. Absolutely, I'll be at CrimeCon because it's in Orlando. Yeah. And I'm going to do Epcot, and probably, yeah, me and the ladies from the first degree, we're going to do that drink around the world thing at Epcot. We have a drink at every stop. That's probably what, yeah, I already told them about that because they were just like, we don't want to go to Disney. I was like, no, we're not going to Disney. We're going to Epcot. And this is what we're doing. Get our bed. So um, it's going to, yeah, no, that should be be fun. And I think that, you know, CrimeCon is one of those places we talk about murderbilia and yeah. serial killers and things. It's like they really do a good job of not having that mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, not having people cosplay or do anything yeah. super yeah. crazy like that. So it's very, it's been very respectful of, of, of the stories and of the victims. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. I believe that, do we have time for one more? Was that the last, what? You can, you can one more. One, one more, more question. One more, I think in the very back. At the very back, she had her hand up last time too. Favorite fictional detectives. Favorite fictional detectives, I would say, would be um, Sherlock is up there. Mm-hmm. It's between Sherlock and Batman. Uh, they're both kind of miserable, and I don't consider myself a sure. I'm more of a Watson. I'm a guy that actually does the stuff and writes about it. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, really, it's it's Sherlock, Batman, and. Um, you can't go wrong with Nancy Drew. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Veronica Mars, too. Oh, yes! 
Sinisterhood will always remain free, but if you wish to donate to our Patreon to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. You'll get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus mini-sode. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to score some sweet Sinisterhood swag of your own, like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the internet? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather, what about you? I'm on Instagram at Heather VS The World and on Twitter at MCK VS The World. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sinister.